Well, here's an, another recording of a last Sunday where we forgot to put the microphone in, so I'm going to try and recap in a much shorter space of time what uh, we covered on that day. Reading from Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. God our Father, we thank you so much for your magnificent creation and we thank you that through your creation we see a glimpse of who you really are. And we pray that as we open your word, you will speak to us and you will increase our expectancy that you are so much greater than we can understand. So we just offer our hearts to you this day and we pray that you will open our minds to the things that are of you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Galatians 3.22 it says, The whole world is a prison of sin. And in this uh, presentation, when I gave it on Sunday, I, I used slides to illustrate some of the things I'm going to say, but I can't do that here, so I'm going to just uh, try and summarize what we talked about. But we've been sp spending a lot of time uh, reflecting on the reality that we live in a world that is basically separated from God because of the rebellion that took place uh, in Eden when, when Adam and Eve basically said no to God and responded to, no matter how innocently, to the temptations of the snake or, or Satan, who said, don't believe in God, don't believe that he means what he says, don't believe that you will die if you eat of this fruit, and sowed doubt in their minds, and they basically acted on it. And when they acted upon it, they gave evil or Satan the title deeds for this world in which we live, the physical world. And so I'm using that analogy of saying, uh, we live in a world that is like a, a prison camp. And when we're born in a prison camp, uh, we basically have very little understanding of what freedom really means because we have no um, frame of reference beyond the prison in which we live and are born and we see nothing beyond that. All we see in our world is passport controls, national flags, power struggles between nations. And if I were able to show you slides, I would show you slides of the violence that we see around the world. Now, I could show you, obviously, uh, slides that show other things that are more positive. But when we look at the news day by day, primarily what we are confronted with all the time is the conflict between nations, conflict between people, which is how life exists in a prison camp. Uh, there is tension, there is strife, and there is power. Str there are power struggles. And so we're thinking and reflecting a lot about freedom, I remember in Port Alberni some years ago there were three rusty ships that were tied up at the Harbour Quay here on the inlet and they had been brought uh, to be used as reefs but their primary, uh, their primary function before that was that they were used by Chinese refugees to try and escape from mainland China and about 600 people travelled on these ships and uh, we went around them and had a look at uh, what they were like and it's horrific to see the confined quarters, the scratches on the decks, on the, on the walls of people who are so longing for freedom that they're willing to risk their lives on a wide open ocean in a rusty old hull just to get away from the oppression. 
But the prison image fades when we look at is there another perspective from which to see our world? Because very often we, you know, you might have heard the phrase um, back off, chill out, um, you can't see the wood, the forest for the trees. So uh, slow down, take some perspective. And, and how do we do that when in our world? It's very difficult to, but in the last 50 years or even less than that, We've had a perspective that nobody else in, in, in Earth's history has ever seen before, and that is the perspective from space. When uh, astronauts go to space and they see an image of the, of the world hanging like a jewel in space, and they're mesmerized by it, and, they, and, and they, it changes them in many ways because of what they see. I showed in a, a couple of slides of, of space and, and how the, uh, uh, the astronauts saw uh, the, the world. And when you see, if you want a, a picture of the kingdom of God, uh, maybe a picture of uh, the world hanging in space is, is, is the best picture we can get. And why I say that is because when you see the world hanging there in the blackness and vastness of space, you don't see the boundaries, you don't see the people, you just see one world and the exquisite beauty of that world from a distance. We showed a, a slide of the Earth and the Moon from Odyssey on the trip to Mars. It was two million miles away. You see, in a, you, you get a, an understanding of the vastness of space and the smallness of this world. The BBC last week had an, uh, a news clip that spoke about the discovery of a new uh, big hole, a, a big black void in space. And somebody said, if you were to travel at the speed of light, it would take you several years to get to the nearest stars in our own Milky Way galaxy. But if you were to go to this hole and enter one side, you'd have to travel for a billion years before you could get to the other side. I mean, the vastness is, is mind-boggling. I can't put my mind around it as well. And the paradigm shift one gets is one goes into space and looks back, and we saw pictures that I showed in the PowerPoint presentation of looking at the world from... Uh, from Saturn and 750 miles away and you, cannot, you can hardly see the world. And the, the vastness of space is something that puts us in perspective. And why I used that analogy and why I showed those slides uh, last Sunday was because so often we're saying, oh, I can't understand that, oh, I can't believe this about God. And yet when we look at the world in which we live and the space around us, and just see what we've discovered through space. We find there's so much we don't understand. In fact, most things we don't understand. And then, if you don't look outwards towards space and you look inward, in other words, to worlds within worlds that exist in our own world, the most, uh, you know, some of the recent stuff that we, we, we are being told about is nanotechnology, which is, is looking into microscopic forms. And I showed a slide of... Uh, of what it looks like inside a small vein in the human body. And when that's blown up, you see these cells floating around and this incredible world that exists. And then we saw another slide of a dust mite, which looks like an animal when it's exploded into, in, into a magnified state. And as we saw that dust mite uh, on the screen... I thought about this and thought, God so loved the world that he sent his son 
And maybe from God's perspective, if we could try and get an analogy, it would be like God so loved the world that it became a dust mite. For a human being to become a dust mite in order to save the world. And what God was doing in Jesus and what God was doing by becoming human was to open our eyes to understand, firstly, that we live in a world that is distorted and not nearly as amazing and beautiful and stunning as what God intended. And so what God was doing in Jesus was saying, I want you to know that you're actually, all your reality is actually distorted. And it's only as you look to me, Jesus, that you will see something of what life is meant to be and what you are meant to be. I then showed a slide of, uh, you know, one of those pictures where they're 3D presentations. So you look at the picture and you just see a pattern. And then if you blur your eyes and you look at that picture for a, a, b a bit of time and you in a sense look through that picture, what you see coming out of that is a 3D image of something you hadn't seen before. And the picture I showed on the screen was one of, uh, it was a blue patterned picture. And if you looked right through it, you would see Jesus on the cross. And the point of using that analogy was again saying what we see initially and what might be there actually might be something very different. And we live in a world where there are two dimensions at least, where what we see on the surface is how we live our lives normally, which is the prison. But there's also a life that Jesus introduced, which is the 3D dimension, which is much richer and much more true. And that is the life to which he has called us. And when we read the Acts of the Apostles, which we've been studying uh, over these past weeks, uh, we see a church that is living in that third dimension, is the living in another dimension, that's seeing life from a perspective that's not just of a prison camp, but is of a place where God exists through Jesus to make a whole difference to what that life is like. And so I no longer need to be a prisoner. I can live as free, even though the context in which I live is a prison. And the resurrection rarely uh, shaped the early church. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it rolls off our lips so easily today because we're so used to that word. But it actually transforms life. The resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to give you six points about the resurrection in the early church. The resurrection affirmed that Jesus was really who he claimed to be. He's the only religious leader in history who claims to have risen from the dead, has been seen after death, around whom there is no shrine or grave, but merely an empty tomb, who says he did not die, he rose from the dead. That took away the second point, that death is not the end, death is not the final destination of life, death is a, is a gateway into something far greater. It's rather like this world is a, a great womb preparing us for a life beyond this. So Jesus showed us by his resurrection that there is indeed life beyond death. It gives by His resurrection therefore gives new meaning to life on earth. Life on earth is not merely uh, we have to do all we can in this life and that's it. Life is, on earth is a preparation for something else. And so God says, uh, what you do on this earth makes a difference in terms of where you're going and how you get there and what that means. The resurrection also uh, spoke about the power, of the, the power of the cross, the power of the cross to forgive sin, the power of the cross to break down the barrier 
that was caused between man and human beings and God because of our rebellion. We know that in our own relationships. When somebody does us wrong or we, we get onto the wrong side of each other, that creates a barrier and we have to deal with that. We have to say, I'm sorry, or we have to talk about it. Well, the same is true with God. If I live as if I'm the only, I'm, I'm responsible for my life and I'm answerable to no one, then I basically have taken hold of life and said, I am, the, I am God. If I begin to realize suddenly that, or gradually, that I am part of something larger and actually I'm answerable to God, I'm actually a guest here, uh, he has given me this privilege to be alive in this world. But he has also said uh, that he has not given us ownership or me ownership of my life or of the world, but that he wants to have a relationship with me. When I come to that awareness, I suddenly become aware of what I've done so presumptuously uh, to live this life in separation from him. So the cross is the place where I come to and say, Lord, you are God and I bow down and acknowledge you as God and I am a created being. I'm not the creator. And I thank you for my life. I thank you for the gift of my life. And I ask you to forgive me where I have rebelled against you. And that was the huge barrier between God and human beings. And Jesus, when he went to the cross and rose from the dead, uh, verified and validated that that is a place where we come to a personal relationship with, with God the Father. And then out of that uh, relationship with God the Father that comes through our, forg our asking forgiveness is a release of power which we call the power of the Holy Spirit which is really like releasing uh, the energy of electricity into the human form. It's giving us a power to love and to serve and to care and to heal and to do things we couldn't do in our own strength. So death is no longer a barrier, but a gateway to a mansion and a life that awaits with Jesus uh, beyond this life. And that is what the disciples grabbed hold of. And Jesus said, really, if you live with that dynamic, if you live with that um, perspective, it will change the way you live on earth. And what we see in the Acts of the Apostles is, is a people who had grabbed hold of a truth they'd never seen before. They were no longer afraid of death. But they basically wanted to live as fully as they could. And they said, well, if we die, we, then we get to get, be with Jesus. So death is not something we fear anymore. In, in the world in which we live, uh, there's, the dark side always imitates the light. And suicide bombers kill people in order to make a point. Christians who die, die for others, that others might have life. And Jesus laid down his life so that others would have life. A man by the name of F.R. Maltby said, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be absurdly happy, completely fearless, and in constant trouble. So, what he was really saying was what Peter, 1 Peter 4.12 talks about, which is being joyful, being bold, and being content in our circumstances. Now that changed, the, the resurrection of Jesus and the, the Holy Spirit changed the whole life of the early church. It formed the, holy, the, the whole life of the early church. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they spoke about the, resurre the resurrected Jesus, but they also lived as citizens of the kingdom of God that was inaugurated by the risen Jesus. And that gave them a power and authority that, that, that had never been seen before in the world. And so, 
if we look through the chapters, and I just skim through the first few chapters of the Acts of the Apostles, you'll see the supernatural element of the risen Lord Jesus and the power of the Spirit in the church, because I believe, and I'm sure many would agree, that the church today has lost so much of the power of God. We talk about it, we think about it, we discuss it, but we actually don't live in power, we don't live in authority, and therefore we are not very attractive, we're not very powerful, we're not very different from the world in which we live. If you look in chapter 1 of, uh, of Acts, you have the ascension of Jesus. You walk across from Bethany, uh, which is just up the Mount of Olives, down to Bethany, and Jesus ascended there uh, and left the disciples. That was a miraculous, a supernatural occurrence. Chapter 2, he had told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they had been filled with power, Six weeks later, Pentecost was poured out, which was the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon the gathering of disciples. Uh, flames rested upon them and they spoke in tongues. They spoke in languages they'd never spoken before. These were Galilean uh, men and women who really had never learned any other language. And people around them said, how can I understand you? You're speaking my language. And eventually Peter stood up and said, Peter, the one who had denied Jesus and was so terrified, had been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he stood up boldly and said, this is Jesus, this is the risen Jesus and this is what we're doing. We're not drunk, it's only nine o'clock in the morning, this is the power of the Spirit. Uh, in chapter 3, Peter and John are used by God to heal a, 40, uh, a man who had been crippled from birth for 40 years, a supernatural healing. In chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested, they speak to the leadership with great boldness. And they say they can't help but speak about what they've seen and heard. And then they go back and they speak, they, they share with the others, the disciples, and I'm just skimming through this quickly, but uh, they, they say, Lord, we want you to in, uh, pour out your power in, in, in greater, greater, greater power, more power, do more, Lord, through us. And they weren't afraid of being imprisoned. They had discovered uh, the secret of life, and they discovered the reality of Jesus, and they discovered the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were vibrant. In, turning, uh, in, in, in telling others about that because it transformed their life. They were no longer prisoners in a camp. They were people who were free in the midst of a camp context. Ananias and Sapphira, chapter 5, uh, de deceived the disciples. They lied about what they were giving and they dropped dead. They basically, God uh, uh, judged them right there. That doesn't mean to say they went to hell, but they nevertheless, what God was doing there was saying deception is a dangerous part of the foundation, is part of the foundation of the Christian church. And it's, uh, it's going to be something that the Christian church is going to battle with all its life. And uh, there was a, the disciples moved on from there. They basically went to bear witness to the risen Lord Jesus. They were arrested. And then they were flogged. And that's only one sentence in Acts 5. And they just uh, went back rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be suffering with Jesus. In chapter 6, Stephen speaks, he's arrested, and he has a vision of Jesus as he's stoned to death. And this remarkable martyrdom of this uh, man, man Stephen, who was the first martyr in the Christian church, and we read that one sentence at the end of that chapter, which is, and Saul was watching, in chapter 7. And the blood of, G of Stephen was probably what most moved uh, Saul, who was to become Paul, to be open to the Christian gospel, Obviously, later it was the Damascus Road experience. I'm trying to give illustrations of just how much the power of God and the Spirit of God was powerfully used to shape and grow the early Christian church and suggest 
that that was meant to be the norm. The kingdom of God among us is meant to be one of power, of proclamation of boldness, and of learning how to suffer in the midst of uh, the life of Jesus. In chapter nine, we have the well. Chapter chapter eight, we have the church is persecuted. Philip does miracles, uh, but there's certainly a cost to play to pay. In in chapter nine, uh, Saul is is converted on the Damascus road, and uh, and he's 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 one of the most feared people in in that world at the time. And a man named Ananias was spoken to by God and says, "Go and lay hands on him. Imagine what that must have been like." And he does that. He obeys. And, and Paul sees again and he becomes probably the greatest intellect of the Christian church. Peter heals a paralytic, Aeneas, and he raises Dorcas from the dead. Supernatural events proclaiming the kingdom of God is here. Chapter 10, Peter has a vision of unclean animals and God is then beginning to turn his church and say this is not just for Jews but for Gentiles. An angel appears to Cornelius who's a Gentile. And uh, Peter and, and Cornelius come together and Peter understands uh, for the first time that the Christian gospel is for all people in every nation and the Gentiles are included. Peter then has to go back in chapter 11 to explain that to the leadership. And it was totally unexpected by them. They did not see that. And, and again and again as God's spirit works in the, new, in, the, in the early church we see the truth of God's thoughts are not our thoughts, His ways are not our ways. It's so counterintuitive to what we normally are, are willing to consider. Chapter 11, or chapter 12, Herod has James killed. Uh, Herod is, 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 a, is a, a ruler from the, for the Roman Empire. And James is killed and Peter thinks he's also going to die. But an angel appears into, in, in Peter's prison and sets him free. Peter thinks he's, he's, he's dreaming. Herod then dies because he accepts worship as if he were God. And God takes him out. An angelic appearance that sets Peter free. I believe as we look at the space and nanotechnology, we see the vastness of what we live in and the vastness of what we don't understand. And therefore, why I presented that at the beginning of this talk was to say, then why would it not be possible for God to heal people? Why would it not be possible for God's Spirit to work in wonderful ways? Why would it not be possible for God to speak through you and me? Why would it not be possible for angels to set people free? I believe in the West we have got so shrunken in our thinking, so distorted in our thinking, so imprisoned in our intellects, that we've actually lost an enormous amount of the power of the Gospel. And I believe God wants to restore that to us. And that means we need humility. We need humility to go, maybe there's much more available than I understand. And we need to pray together, Lord, will you show us? Open our eyes to see, as Paul prayed in Ephesians, open the eyes of my heart that I might, uh, my heart, that I might see uh, revelation, which means what I can't logically understand. Read about Barnabas and Saul in verse 30, chapter 13, starting on a missionary journey that's prompted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks the Word of God and tells them where to go. Uh, Paul demonstrates the power of the Spirit by striking Elmas, a sorcerer, blind. And the proconsul uh, who witnessed that was converted. Paul and Barnabas uh, are on their missionary journeys and Paul heals a man in Lystra who was lame from birth. Crowds proclaim, them God, crowds proclaim them gods and Paul leaves and he's nearly stoned to death. The fickleness of the crowd is apparent. 
in 50, Acts 15 there's a council of Jerusalem which we won't go into now and 16 this is the last chapter I'm going to deal with Paul's vision is of a man at, of Macedonia begging for help and he goes over to Macedonia Lydia is converted and Paul and Silas end up in prison there's a huge earthquake and if I was in prison with Saul, uh, Paul at that time I would have thought well God is opening the doors for us to go remember John the Baptist had been in prison and he had had his head chopped off because uh, the daughter of the woman that Herod was living with said, I want John's... Uh, well, his mother, her, her mother had told her to tell her this. But uh, it said, I want John's head on a plate. And John died in prison. Others were flogged in prison. Others were set free as, as, as Peter knew. He was set free as an angel came and opened up the gates and let him out. The, the apostles were set free from prison. Now Paul and Silas are in prison, the doors open and they don't leave. Why is that? Because God's Spirit speaks to people in different circumstances about different things and they are open to God's Spirit so that they don't assume that they know what he's doing but they listen and they're open and so what he does in one circumstance, he does almost the opposite in the other. Silas and Paul stay in prison till the morning, the jailer comes, is terrified, wants to commit suicide and Paul says, no, no, we're still here. And the jailer is so impressed, he becomes a Christian, his whole household is, in, is, is baptized. What am I saying? Through all of this, this very, very rushed presentation of Acts, I'm saying that God's Spirit wants to breathe into us and into our lives and churches and into our lives as Christians. Uh, he, want, he says, my sheep hear my voice. And he really... I believe is saying to us I will lead you and I will speak through you and I will tell you what you to do if you learn to listen to me you learn to hear my voice and you learn uh, to check in with me first rather than just do whatever you do and then ask me to bless you Michael Green in his commentary on Acts uh, spoke about the hardships and pressures that came to believers and he said there were about five major sources one, circumstances of life two, the society in which they lived Three, failures and weakness within the church itself. Four, direct satanic opposition. And five, constant inner battles with self. So there are at least five areas that can cause us uh, to struggle uh, with following Jesus and knowing what to do. And the kingdom of God was what Jesus said we would find established in us and among us as we allowed him to be Lord, as we allow him to be the king, as we allow him to take the initiative in our lives. The kingdom of God does not come visibly, it says in Luke 17.20. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. And so what we're doing as a church right now is saying, Lord, teach us about your kingdom. Teach us about how your kingdom is to be manifest and visible among us today, where we live right now. And part of, part of that fulfillment is beginning to expect more than what we see. Part of that ex fulfillment is beginning to uh, be open to understand that God is able to do much more than we can ask or imagine. So how do we allow God to work in us and through us without us controlling everything? And that's part of what we are looking at and going to continually explore. So, may God teach us to be humble before Him. May God teach us how to 
allow him to speak and work through us as we reflect on his scriptures, as we read his scriptures, as we learn together how to be disciples as was manifest in the, in, in the Acts of the Apostles. There is nothing in scripture that says what happened in Acts of the Apostles it need, will not happen today. And, and from what I can see, uh, we live in a, in a culture where people are tired of words. They want to see and know the living God. And the only way they'll know the living God is to see something remarkable, extraordinary happen through those who say He is the way, the truth and the life. So Father, we bless You for Your patience with us. We bless You for Your Word. And we pray uh, that You will open our eyes and our hearts to see and understand the revelation that comes from Jesus that will help us to discover more of the wonder and the power of your Spirit, just as those early disciples did, that you will use us to work miracles. Not that we will be glorified, but that you will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.